Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Sirum. I live in Reykjavik, Iceland. I read The Guardian every morning. I realize that this is something that I would like to pay for. It's a service I value. It's journalism I respect. The Guardian brings me the quality I like. So I realized, hey, this is something I, I should be a part of. Hello, my name is Brian and I live in Norwich. I decided to become a supporter of The Guardian newspaper because I like the quality of its journalism. And I also felt it was time to make a stand because I'm getting tired of the journalism I'm seeing in other newspapers that are owned by rich owners, where there is a lot of bias in their editorials. I hope this inspires some of you to become supporters too and in your own small way, make a stand. Hi, my name is Wesley. I live in uh, Utrecht in the Netherlands. And I recently decided to become a Guardian supporter because it's well one of the few news sources that I feel is still delivering accurate news. You know, it feels like I can trust the Guardian. For me, that's, I think, the most important thing. And especially when they said we don't want to do too much advertisements and we don't want to become dependent upon other uh, people can, that can manipulate the news, I felt that it was good to uh, support our democracy. If, like Sigrun, Wesley and Brian, you would like to join the growing number of readers who support our independent journalism, then go to gu.com slash support slash podcast. The Guardian. I think for a long time it was seen as a business story or a retail story that, you know, so-and-so chain has closed or is under threat. I mean, we very early saw it as a political story. There's a number of cases going on at the moment where women are fighting to have their roles working in shops recognised as equal in status to men working in the warehouses for the same company. And they're saying, well, we're getting paid less, but our job is as important and of equal value. Historically, these women's part-time, non-breadwinning roles have been seen as less important and less well-paid. They are vital to the economic and cultural identity of place. Independent businesses define the look and the feel of a place in a way that corporates erode it. The traditional high street of the last 50 years, founded on chain stores and well-known brands, is undergoing a brutal transformation. Retail guru Mary Porter summarised it really well. Supermarket sprawl, out-of-town shopping, the internet and poor communication between councils, traders and landlords. We have sacrificed communities for convenience, she said. After new data showed the number of shops, pubs and restaurants lying empty in the UK has soared by more than 4,000 in the first six months of this year, retailers have called for decisive action from the government. 
Today, we're interested in examining what the scale of these closures is doing to the urban fabrics of our towns and to the hearts of our communities. Hello and welcome to We Need to Talk About the Death of the High Street, the latest of our monthly podcasts in which Guardian journalists and industry experts dig into a topic suggested by Guardian supporters and answer their questions on it. I'm Lee Glendening, Executive Editor for Membership at The Guardian. Our supporters spoke of the frustration of the lack of community, joy and productivity in their high street. With the demise of the high street shops hitting women the hardest, why is the loss of their part-time low-wage jobs attracting such little attention? What can be done to draw younger generations to town centres? And indeed, should shopping characterise the high street to the extent that it does? And what about the responsibility on us all as individuals to participate in the life of our communities if that means halting our own culture of convenient consumerism? To discuss all of this and what we can learn from successful, revitalised high streets, our panel today, Nick Johnson, founder and director of operations at Altrincham Market. Nick took over the running of the town's market five years ago and it's since had a transformational impact on the town centre. John Domikos, The Guardian's video journalist, co-creator of Made in Stoke and Anywhere But Westminster. Sarah Butler and Zoe Wood, retail correspondents at The Guardian. Sarah and Zoe have covered retail for more than a decade and it's so great to have you all here today to discuss this issue. Let's hear first from Guardian supporter Janet on her local high street. My name's Janet Strivens. I'm retired and I'm living in North Wales. Our nearest local town is Wrexham and the high street in Wrexham has been devastated. I'm sure online shopping is a part of the reason, but I think the deterioration's really been noticeable since the council built a new shopping centre. It's a little way away from the centre. It's called Eagles Meadow. When it built it, all the major stores like Boots and Debenhams and M&S moved into Eagles Meadow from the high street. I think Eagles Meadow's horrible. It's pretty soulless. I never actually go there. But meanwhile, there's very little left in the centre beyond charity shops, bargain shops and coffee shops. So there's no reason to go there, really. All the major supermarkets are on the outskirts of the town. There was an indoor market. Part of that's recently been renovated as a community space uh, called Tipaub. It looks really nice now, but I don't see how it can survive. I don't see how the, there's the footfall in the city centre to keep it going. Wrexham's got a bit of a reputation for being a town that has quite a lot of junkies and people think whether or not this is true they tend to gather in the in the center so increasingly people don't want to go there and it's it's quite a poor town so it's difficult to imagine how the center could be renovated with lots of nice small independent shops because i don't know who would be the the customers for them I'm sure Janet's description or elements of it is familiar to to many of us. Zoe and Sarah, I touched on this in in the intro, but I'm really interested to hear from you about whether you can give us a picture of the general health on the high street nationally and include pubs and restaurants so that we can get a complete picture. Uh, Yeah, so particularly this year, we've seen a lot of closures on the high street um, retailers of all kinds have been suffering particularly clothing stores just in the first six months of the year there's uh, nearly four and a half thousand net closures so that's taking away new openings from um, the total number of closures on the high street so four and a half thousand stores have closed around the country clothing stores have really suffered because nearly a quarter of um, clothing sales are now online so that gives you a bit of a flavor of what's happening it's not just shop 
shops, um, pubs are also closing. Uh, apparently a quarter of the pubs that we had in this country have closed since 2001. Uh, there's still 39,000, so there's not too hard to go and find somewhere to go and get a drink, but um, it's a big change in a not very long period of time. Zoe and I are writing every week about um, businesses that are really suffering as they're trying to adapt very to very rapid change. We often say it feels like a perfect storm because I think in retail you've got a big crossover between, obviously we're hearing a lot about Brexit and Brexit is connected to consumer confidence and consumer confidence is is connected to spending on the high street. But at the same time that pot of spending is being split between physical stores and online and as those that spending leaks online, those stores, um, their business model is challenged and I think even as our contributor describes um, her experience in Wrexham, it just means that a smaller pool of stores can survive. So those two competing centres within Wrexham themselves, they just can't make ends meet in this sort of shrinking uh, retail environment. I think, as Zoe says, there's a lot of things happening at the same time. You've got kind of people wanting less interested in buying stuff and going shopping as a a leisure activity. There's lots more alternative leisure activities, even staying at home and being able to kind of live your life through your phone. These sort of changes are all coming at the same time. And I think that's partly what's sort of um, driving such big change. The weird thing about this year covering it to me it feels like we're in a recession but we're not in a recession so the really frightening thing is if uh, we have a Brexit car crash and we are in a recession I mean that to me is the frightening prospect which is not very cheering if you're trying to be optimistic about the future but if if it can go this badly wrong in a relatively benign spending environment I, it would seem to me it's just the beginning. Yesterday I was um, in Parliament listening to Mike Ashley the boss of Sports Direct who also owns South Fraser now and he was sort of very very negative about many high streets saying you know they're just dead we've got to sort of forget those and uh, property guys talk about you know between a fifth and a quarter of the retail space we've got open at the moment has got to close so we've got to find something different to do with that in their view. Nick, we'll hear a bit later about the impacts your new market had in Altrincham on the town and its people. But can you tell us a bit about what the town was like before you set up the market? It sounds like it wasn't dissimilar to Wrexham, uh, frankly. And I think that that is a probably a very typical situation throughout the country. And and I think what you were talking about has a long slow burn backstory as well. This whole journey started in the 80s with planning policy changes that allowed out-of-town retail development. That The planners and, and the property, the real estate investors and developers were obsessed with this idea, this American idea of the mall development out of town. And I think that what we are seeing really is, is a 20 to 30 year burn around that kind of philosophical approach to uh, development and um, and a number of other factors as well around uh, planning decisions and about um, the general shift in technology that compound the problem. But what we're faced with is is a structural one uh, significantly and Altrincham was a victim of all of those uh, circumstances. It, It was a town that had thrust upon it a major out-of-town development called uh, the Trafford Centre. So that was our blue water experience at the hands of 
what was then Manchester Ship Canal Company, now John Whitaker, who is uh, now part of Into, which own a, a whole number of shopping centres around the country. And that sits within Trafford, which is a local authority uh, district in which Altrincham sits. So there was an impact as soon as the Trafford Centre opened. And, and originally people thought, well, the real challenge is going to be to Manchester City Centre. But in actual fact, the, the real challenge that Trafford, present, Trafford Centre presented was to the, uh, the neighbouring towns within that subset of Greater Manchester. So Altrincham was clearly going to be uh, materially affected by that. The second factor was that there were some pretty disastrous planning decisions made by the local authority, and I think that that is what your correspondent was alluding to with with Wrexham, that there were some bad decisions taken locally um, that, that made it more difficult for um, the town to compete against the Trafford Centre. And then the final uh, nail in the town's coffin was the recession um, and 2007-2008 when uh, people stopped spending money on the high street. And so um, what we found was that a lot of the, the retailers who were on longer-term traditional uh, leases were reaching the end of the, their lease term and then weren't renewing, so they were disappearing from the town. I think also one of the biggest factors has been the fact that Altrincham became a clone town. It started over the past two decades to look the same as everywhere else, from Aldershot to Aberdeen. All of the towns look the same, taste the same, smell the same. And and if you can get that experience in a mall that is... 10 to 15 minutes drive time away from the town, then people start to vote with their feet. There was no reason for people to go to the town. The town did not reflect the people that lived around that town. So all of these factors have contributed to um, the demise of Altrincham. It had one of the highest vacancy rates on the high street in the whole of the country five years ago, which is when we got involved. If it was a 20-year problem, as you outline, why do you think it went under the radar for so long? It didn't go under the radar. It just it just happened at a level and on a, on a very simple way, day by day. And I think there comes a moment in time when that becomes a crisis point. And I think that that's when people realise. So um, you may, as a retailer, dismiss a bad weekend uh, and then you may dismiss a bad month and then you may say, well, we've had a not particularly good year. And when that repeats itself and gets worse the following year, you start to suggest that this is a, an irrecoverable pattern. John, you've spent a lot of time uh, across the UK, particularly in the north of England, filming uh, Made in Stoke and anywhere but Westminster. Can you tell us about the people that you met there and whether what they told you correlates with what our supporter in Wrexham was saying? Yes, it's a, it's a very familiar voice, uh, the, the women from Wrexham just now. We started doing Anywhere Westminster 10 years ago and it's the, pretty much the topic that came up most often. Uh, I should say the point of Anywhere Westminster was Anywhere but Westminster was that we report on politics but not from London and not through the eyes of politicians but from the street and from towns that don't often get... Uh, visited by the media. One of our earliest places was actually uh, Altrincham, and we were we were stunned by. We went there to report on what we thought was an affluent suburb, mm-hmm. and whether Ed Miliband could win over voters there. And the issue we came away from was people's dissatisfaction dissatisfaction with the uh, the state of the high street and the state of their town. And the issue kept coming up more often than things like immigration, more often than you know, the people's uh, wages or, you know, job security. Very quickly built up this sense of how deeply entwined it is with people's sense of place and sense of happiness, sense that the 
future is going to be better than the past. And for too many people, the sense was that no, it wasn't and that things were going backwards and that nobody really cared. Guardian supporter Jackie spoke to us about how maintaining a healthy high street has an obvious positive mental effect on a community, providing a natural support structure for the potentially isolated and a space for collective play and creativity. In 2011, David Cameron's government appointed the retail consultant and broadcaster Mary Portis as a high street czar. The hope at the time was that Mary could reverse the long-failing fortunes of the high street, but she went on to question the government's conviction in their town centre-first planning policy. It feels like the importance of the high street wasn't taken seriously enough then. Why do you think we've been so slow to react to this downturn? You said before as well that this, why did this go under the radar for so long? I mean, I think for a long time it was seen as a business story or a retail story that, you know, so-and-so chain has closed or is under threat. I mean, we very early saw it as a political story. You know, we speak now about how Brexit is exacerbating sort of uncertainty and store closures. The way I see it, Brexit was... Partly, obviously, it's a very complicated thing, p- possibly caused by this. You know, the, the like I said, people sense that, the, that that things were getting worse in these towns really kept coming up. You know, and, and I think the the causality in in a way goes both ways there. I mean, relatively speaking, you know, she didn't have that big a mandate to, in her defence. She just was coming. She's kind of like an idea person, and then. Um, when things got better after the financial crisis, the government just didn't really get behind it. And I think when things got better, they, they just parked it again. And then suddenly it's blown up again, partly because of perhaps the shift online. I know you don't want me to see online. <laughs> partly because that's become exacerbated now and they can't ignore the, the sheer volume of empty stores. Well, also, you, you have giant structural problems going on here, right? Out-of-town shopping centres we've already heard about the internet we're going to talk about, uh, austerity, financial crash. You can't sort of, you know, get someone to come up with a few ideas here and there and, and, and hope that that's going to solve everything. I think one of the problems with Mary Portas's engagement in this issue, and it's not to suggest that, that her involvement was mere window dressing, is, is slightly, it hops back to the origins of her career. But the, the reality was that, that Mary Portas was a TV show and it lacked any of the... What, a lot of what she was saying was quite right, but it, it lacked a lot of the gravitas that was necessary in order to deal with the issue. And, and uh, you know, £1.2 million over 12 towns, £100,000 per town, it's just a marketing exercise by government to try and suggest that that this was a, a quick fix. And it, it was it was the application of a, of a plaster over a, an artery that had clearly uh, failed. And I think John is right in what he asserts, that... that the implications of the decline of the high street was had a much more profound impact than government has hitherto estimated, um, that it does affect the way that people feel about themselves and the place in which they live and the way in which they feel about their relationship to the rest of the country. There needs to be a fundamental shift in the way in which we approach uh, the the importance of the high street and the way in which we start to address the issues that we face in, on the high street and that will take a new intelligent discussion with government and with all the 
professionals that are surrounded and engaged with the built environment to contemplate some of the fundamental issues that need to be addressed because some PR initiative, whether that's Mary Portas or whether the recent thing that Altrincham was voted, which was a high street of the year and given 15, a paltry £15,000 for, for winning that particular prize. And, you know, there's another example of government allocating an insignificant amount of money on a PR exercise. I think we'll get on to um, some of the government initiatives a bit later on, but a really important point I just want to touch on now is how this issue has disproportionately affected women. The British Retail Consortium identified in 2016 that 70% of those vulnerable to job losses on the high street will be women. We know that this hits women the hardest because... um, there's a lot of part-time work that is lost in retail. And I'm always um, quite shocked at how little this is covered compared to, say, a car plant or another type of factory closing down. I wonder what you all think about that and, and why it doesn't get the coverage it deserves. Yeah, I think you would find definitely when covering retail, there's far less romanticism around the skills uh, involved in working in, in a shop. And traditionally, they have, you know, it's just disproportionately female because often it's been women who opt to work part-time. Uh, the high street's often close to their child's school. Uh, it's just more f- uh, flexible for someone with a caring role and I think that's partly why this has been this sort of been a, a, a snowball effect that's come to the fore now. But yeah, it's just his, it's this historic link to women being in a caring role and working in shops and, and also sometimes the unions are not particularly forthcoming in bringing across the message in the same way like say the car industry I think they've been much more effective in speaking up and also they talk a lot more about a skill base and I think maybe now we see a bit more coming to the fore about you know apprenticeships and uh, you know what the potential of AI is going to bring that you know retail jobs are going to be more high-tech jobs. But But why do you think given the numbers of um, job losses we're talking about that this doesn't get sort of front page headlines? But but I think it does. Yeah I mean they they do I think they get nationally well if if a big retailer is closing, you know, the dozens of, do. or hundreds of shops, mm. then those job losses will be talked about. But you think about it in a local town, you know, say Port Talbot is under threat, you know, a big industrial complex. All of those jobs are in one town and one town is affected in one go. Mm. If, you know, Woolworths closes, thousands of jobs but they are spread out around the country. So it's harder for the press to say, okay, we're going to go to this one town and show the impact. That impact is felt across the country in thousands of families, um, and it takes longer to kind of feel that effect. And as Zoe says, you know, they're they're often part-time jobs. They might not be seen as the kind of, in quotes, main breadwinner. They're not seen as important jobs. And there's, there's a number of cases going on at the moment where women are fighting to have their roles working in shops recognised as equal in status to men working in the warehouses for the same company and they're saying well we're getting paid less but our job is as important and of equal value. Historically these women's part-time non-breadwinning roles have been seen as less important and less well paid. Maybe we all took it for granted slightly as well didn't we and sort of didn't really think about the importance of a friendly face at, at the till until you get to the supermarket and it's been replaced by one of those automated, uh, unexpected yeah, exactly. item in the baggage area kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But I thought the interesting point on that as well was also the the effect on older people who who perhaps use 
the town centres more in the traditional sense as well. Because again, that's something that we picked up over the years is not just from the retail jobs that are lost point of view, but from the impact on, on women and, and older people in particular using the town centres, how that affects them. Absolutely. Just on one point, we write a lot about Marks and Spencers and, you know, it's such a devastating blow to a high street when an M&S closed. But sometimes I think... People don't really think about the fact of when did they last shop at M&S and sometimes the end of a retailer is is that that shoppers actually have stopped shopping there and I think sometimes uh, the high street is a very complicated thing and it's it's neither one thing or the other. Of course this issue doesn't just affect towns in the UK. There are equal challenges on high streets and cities and towns globally. Let's hear from Guardian supporter Will now about the challenges he's seen in New York City. My name is Will Lewis. I'm the marketing and events director for the Village Alliance Business Improvement District in New York City and we cover the Greenwich Village and Astor Place neighbourhoods of Manhattan. The retail vacancy rates in New York City right now are between 4% and 20% and within the district that we work here in Greenwich Village in Manhattan are currently tracking at about 10% which is the highest level of vacancies since 2008. For me what's very similar is looking at the situation that you have in UK cities such as Grimsby, such as Hull, which are experiencing very similar levels of vacancy, fueled by very similar issues and a very similar climate to that in New York. Amazon last year announced they were wanting to create a second headquarters in the States. They launched a bidding process right across the country, 253 different cities, put in bids for the opportunity to become the new home for Amazon. In the end, two cities won. New York won the bid by uh, giving the basic tax breaks of $1.5 billion to Amazon and actually up to $1.7 billion, depending on how many employees they bring to the city. And that's caused a lot of resentment with people saying, actually, it's misplaced because if the city is giving up to $1.7 billion in tax breaks to Amazon, this massive online retailer, then the city should be doing more to support the existing businesses that are here. Picking up on what Will was saying there, how much of a threat is online shopping? And uh, the example of corporate power of Amazon that he's given there, if a, if a small retailer can't compete with Amazon, for example, in terms of prices, how can they compete and what can they offer um, to make an individual use case and and compete with a behemoth like Amazon. Sarah? Um, In terms of the threat, um, so at the moment overall, I think across food and non-food, if you take the whole retail market, about a fifth of what we spend goes online. It's higher and lower in different sectors, so it's um, about a quarter of clothing. But in food, it's only, I think it's about six percent something yeah so it really varies on the market but also the growth rates are changing so food is changing quite quickly so we could see that you know could see that get up to 10 percent and then that will have a, a bigger impact on that market and clothing is really rapidly changing at the moment and so that's why we're seeing so many clothing stores that are particularly affected right now bookshops obviously we all know they were affected some years ago and we've already had that kind of fallout and that change and now we're seeing physical bookstores opening again which is really great to see so yeah it is having a big impact it's not all about amazon we've got in clothing for example dozens of little interesting small boutique online retailers that are springing up and they they are nibbling away at marks and spencer's market share just as much as um, amazon is the key thing if you were a small business person trying to start out 
depending where you live in the the country, you need to find perhaps an enlightened council because I think uh, councils and landlords are waking up to the idea that you know small guys can't compete with Amazon. However, you know with a with a sensible uh, rent arrangement, business rate subsidy. I mean, I saw this when I uh, went to visit Ashford in Kent, where the council actually bought uh, a small shopping centre, and then they basically uh, let there was a local arts co-op, a lady with a sewing business. She came came and I think initially rent free, uh, discount on business rates. Over time, she's built a business. She's moved into a bigger shop, so I think you, you just need someone who basically is. Um, putting their arms around these small businesses and giving them a chance to get off off the ground. But there's no way that they can operate today with the cost structures of 10 years ago on um, uh, you know, exorbitant high street rents. I mean, it seems like those days are over. What do you think, Nick, in terms of your experience and how Amazon's played um, out? I think, I think the first thing that we should do is abolish the use of the word small. Uh, in the context of the discussion that we're having. In fact, government should abolish the word small in the context of SMEs, small and medium enterprises, because it's patronising and it suggests an unjustified unimportance of the independent sector. So small, wherever we are talking about it, needs to be replaced with independence. And the reason I say that is because I grew up in a near-punk generation and everybody's record collection was defined by uh, which bands were signed to independent record labels because they were the most credible. And independence has a great sense of pride and credibility, which small does not. So therein lies an essential clue to where some of the potential lies for towns to rediscover their identities and that is through working with independent businesses because they are vital not only to uh, the economy and if if required I can explain a little bit more about how that has worked in Altrincham but they are vital to the economic and cultural identity of place. Independent businesses define the look and the feel of a place in a way that corporates erode it. And that counterpoint is vital to understanding uh, the potential that the Ashfords in Kent have. Um, I would question whether uh, local authorities are equipped or have the necessary corporate intelligence to deal with uh, strategies to um, encourage Uh, the independent business sector because unfortunately the independent business sector is incredibly underrepresented in terms of its political clout because they're a very difficult sector to deal with they may be they may represent half of the overall um, gross domestic product on the high street but they're desperately underrepresented in terms of policy framework and understanding that actually these are independent businesses that need a different set of support systems around them to enable them to flourish and I think that's some of the intelligence that now needs to take place about the discussion around high streets but for the first um, starting point let's get rid of the word small. I think it's really lovely what you say about um, independence but realistically what do you think about how many people can actually afford to shop that way when they have a competitor there every day um, that is a lot cheaper? Guardian supporter Eva actually described our relationship to online shopping as just floating along on a tide of convenience. And she felt like we'd become far too um, complacent in the way we're consuming. But obviously, we have consumer power here, and we can choose to buy stuff almost as a political act. 
Um, I wonder what you think about that and how we persuade people not to just go with the cheapest option. Because the independent sector is capable of offering something different. And that is the vital component. You've talked uh, about the um, the revival of aspects of the economy that were considered dead. And let's look now as well at the revival of vinyl a- against all other forms of uh, listening to music. I cite in my past as a former publican many years ago uh, the demise of, of real ale. You know, uh, in the 1990s, as Clubland in um, Manchester was at its zenith, then um, real ale was at, uh, um, about to disappear from the pumps of all the pubs throughout the country and camera were there to try and save it but in actual fact now the only credible drink to have in your hands is a craft beer brewed by an independent brewer um, using specialist hops and ingredients from the UK so there are opportunities for the independent business sector to flourish where the corporates can't go they're very fleet of foot independent business, business people are by their nature doing all kinds of things much more quickly, much more innovatively, that the corporate sector simply don't have the capacity to respond to. And we need to recognise that that is one of the very many attributes and opportunities that come with the independent sector. And yet none of that is articulated. None of that is is put in terms that politicians can grapple with. It's, none of that is put in terms of a, of a report that says, actually, this is the value that can be created. Because, you know, what we've done at, at Alteringham is we have wrestled the control of the market from the local authority following a prolonged European protocol to try and secure the operation. And they were supportive of us. But what we've been able to do under that uh, layer is to encourage uh, about probably about 25 independent business startups, some of whom are now turning over £2 million a year. So there are probably five of those that are now turning from, from starting on a market stall are now you know, reasonable size in terms of business, employing probably 50 or 60 people. And we have used our experience to encourage them to flourish. We've taken all the legislative uh, uh, hurdles that they've had to comply with and dealt with that so that they don't have to. And we've encouraged these guys to do what they are good at, what they're passionate about. And by doing so, we've started to define not only an identity, a new identity for the place uh, in which this takes place, but also these guys are earning decent money and that money is staying in the place in which it's generated. It's not like a corporate, it's not like a multiple where all the profits are leached back into a system that is London-centric. The money that these guys make stays in the northwest of England and is spent and reinvested there. And there are vital, important cultural and economic factors that need to be explored about the dynamics of the independent business sector. Today in Focus is a new Guardian podcast that brings you closer to our journalism by getting behind the news every weekday. You'll join me, Anushka Astana, talking to people at the centre of the big stories impacting our world. We'll use personal perspectives and expert analysis to put you at the heart of what matters. Listen to Today in Focus and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you choose to listen. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're listening to We Need to Talk About the Death of the High Street. John, I'm interested in hearing from you about whether you think this is also the case in terms of consuming as a political act what you saw on the ground in Stoke and the amount of time you spent there. Can you tell us a little bit about your observations? Yeah, very much so. In Stoke, um, the uh, in Stoke, the, the independents, as, as probably elsewhere, also do something which is offering um, offering an experience rather than just a, a, a shopping, a sort of, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, instrumental shopping uh, moment, you know. So so the, the craft beer place, for example, uh, has poetry readings and meeting spaces for your community group. The bookshop ha- uh, sells coffee. The barbers will give you a shot of vodka. You know, the flip side of, of that deep sense of sort of place and identity and loss that, that I was talking about before is that, is that that is a deep well of energy to tap into. What I saw in Stoke was a lot of people, especially young people, who many of whom had tried their luck outside of Stoke. They'd gone to London struggled to make it there you know several of them came back to Stoke with a sense of mission helped by the fact that you know property and living costs were lower but they had a deep sense of mission to 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 build something in the town that they were from and what what was working for them was that a lot of them were you know even even if it was a small group of them they they were spending their money in each other's shops one guy said to me you know I, I I do a bit of design work for the cafe down there I go and drink lattes at his place he goes have a craft beer at this other place and as Nick said that money stays uh, locally and People feel good about spending their money locally and they feel good about knowing the person that they're spending it with and knowing that it's going into supporting that business. So that seems to me that that energy and that sense of sort of local responsibility and local pride surely has to be the starting point um, for, for for the revival. But as also Nick said, many of them had gripes about the local council, about how they weren't doing enough to support them to bring footfall into the area. Um, there were problems with antisocial behaviour, you know, cuts to policing and, and all of that. And plus, you know, the, the council would come and sort of scrub off an artist's sort of uh, wall stencil that was actually considered to be quite a cool piece of art, you know, and the guy was, would turn up and, 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 and see it scrubbed off by the council the next day. So, you know, the local authorities need to have a much clearer sense of what it is, this thing that they're trying to nurture and, and, and the things that they can do to help those people rather than hinder them. Do you think part of that is the answer to how we draw younger generations back to the high street? Yeah, undoubtedly. It's got to speak to how people want to spend their time, not just their money, I guess. People still have always come together and always will want to come together. As, as I was saying, Marks and Spencer hasn't been attracting uh, younger people and you know for a long time. And so perhaps we shouldn't mourn the fact that it's losing market share and perhaps need to look at people who are looking more to the future. Sarah and Zoe, what do you think about the younger generation and what's the answer there to, to bring them back to 
these communities. The high street needs to offer something that you can't get online and whether that's something sort of original and independent and local or whether it's an experience you know it's you know getting your hair cut having some fabulous food um, uh, I've been writing about bingo being revived recently or whether that's crazy golf or whatever there's lots of ideas that are springing up which are about a fun experience or uh, not it doesn't have to be fun it could be you know something a heartfelt experience something that brings communities together and I think John's absolutely right you know people do want to congregate and feel and enjoy their sort of local area it can't necessarily come from from the top down done by the council Uh, it might come from local entrepreneurs and communities until recently I was living in Tooting in South London and we had a what had been a quite run-down local covered market. And the people running it started to bring in small local eateries, little restaurants popping out, a bit similar to Altrincham. You know, words got out and the place is absolutely buzzing on a Saturday night, Friday night, Sunday afternoon. Um, It's the place to be and it's really brought thousands of young people to that area, you know, which might not have bothered when we had Marks and Spencer um, sitting on our high street. I wonder whether one of the most obvious things they could do is just in tackling the housing crisis. Too many shops, but not enough people with uh, their own home. Um, I mean, that surely is a win-win. In the budget, the Chancellor announced the start of a consultation looking at changing planning so that more empty shops could be turned into flats. And To me, I see that as a virtuous circle because if you live in a flat, then you live locally. So um, that creates a cycle where you might want to shop locally, but also maybe get away from the idea of just talking about shopping because that's not the future of the high street. It's not shopping. Maybe it's cafes. Maybe if you're lucky uh, in this day and age, a library, it's about amenities. It's not just about shopping, but if you live somewhere, you are the you are the catchment for that high street, and you can make it you know thrive if you want to. Nick, you've obviously got a lot of experience um, in this. Tell us about altering a market and what you hoped would come from it in the beginning. You've spoken about how it's people, not spaces, that revitalise an area. But what do you think was key to the transformation? I think it was people for years when I was the chairman of Marketing Manchester and I sat on the local enterprise partnership in uh, in Greater Manchester, I used to talk about uh, the imperative to curate places, the necessity to make subjective judgments about bringing people together who were complementary. It's difficult to do in a high street because of the way in which ownership is fractured. A lot of people own different buildings and often, uh, as a result of the 2007-2008 crash, it was the banks that were holding uh, the assets and they were loath to do anything about rents because that would have undermined the value against which the loans were secured. So it's a complex issue uh, in relation to high street, but curation is an integral and essential way in which we can start to talk about the transformation of places. And in particular, uh, that was what we did and that was the view that we took at Altrincham. And I was sick of kind of banging the drum for the curation of places to be ignored. Uh, and, And when that happens, what I tend to do is to say, right, well, I'll show you what I meant. Um, And decided in 2012 to get my hands dirty in the town uh, in which I lived and to bring together um, under one roof, which was much easier than 
trying to affect it in high street, but in, in a market that had seen seen its good days disappear over time. You know, they were part of the victim of, of what happened to the high street. The high street in the aftermath of the Trafford Centre and uh, the recession turned into the market itself because it was flooded with pound shops and with charity shops. And the traders that were left at Altrincham were largely in their 70s selling stuff that people didn't want to buy. What we were able to do through curating independent businesses that started on the market that were then introduced into the slightly more permanent space that is Market House was to bring the average age down of the punter that comes to uh, the market from, I would say, 70 to about 35. And it's now multi-generational. So you you will typically you will go into um, the market at the weekend and you will see it flooded with pushchairs, with kids and with generations of families enjoying an experience that all of them are rewarded by. And I think that that's a very important uh, factor, that by curating the independent businesses, by making sure that they are complementary and making sure that the totality of what is on offer is capable of being enjoyed by many, and it's very non-denominational Altrincham, um, we have been able to engineer a fundamental transformation in the success of not only the market itself, but the perception and um, opportunity in the town, in the wider town. Do you think this is something that could be replicated across the country? I, that's probably the question that I get asked most. I say I'm not interested in replication. It, it is capable of being repeated. Replication is, again, as we should strip the word small from our vocabulary, replication in, re- in respect of high streets is the reason why we are in the mess we are in, or one of the reasons. And we need to take the essence, the building blocks that we set out to demonstrate could work with Altrincham and seek to repeat those in different locations. So the essence of what we are doing there, the curation of people, the subjective curation of people and encouraging the the right kind of people into the right kind of places can be repeated. But in order to do that, we need a new foundation for that to happen. It cannot happen around existing local authority strictures and uh, governance principles it cannot happen around the existing planning framework and planning legislation so if we are to effect something profound we need to start the debate about some of those more profound things that that will have more long-lasting significance than the PR spin that came out of the Mary Portas attempts in the past not that that invalidates what she was saying it's just there was no foundation from which to build sustainable change and I think that we're reaching the tipping point now where we can start to have that debate and start to resurrect and re-engineer uh, the high street in a very positive way. Let's hear now from Guardian supporter Venetia on what might make an area unique. My name's Venetia and I've lived in Glastonbury for seven years. When I arrived it had already lost most of the traditional outlets that high streets have and all four banks had closed since I've been there though a building society has opened since. However despite all those losses No shop actually lies empty for very long. Glastonbury has a reputation for an alternative lifestyle, though there's still a majority of us who are fairly conventional. And every time a shop closes, it's quickly filled by what we call a crystal shop, which is a sort of generic name for any alternative lifestyle outlet. It seems to me that Glastonbury's high street survives because it has a specialism of this alternative lifestyle. I wouldn't suggest that all high streets specialise in an alternative lifestyle, but perhaps they could try and find a specialism and nurture that for their particular high street so that that town became well known for that particular specialism. 
might well attract tourists as well. Venetia referred there to vacant outlets being quickly filled. Zoe and Sarah, one way to regenerate an area is to allow the use of vacant outlets for temporary events or for pop-up shops or galleries or rehearsal rooms or collaborative spaces um, to make these spaces become productive and owned by the communities. Why do you think that we don't see more of this? I just, uh, you know, I take on board some of the points that um, Nick has made today, but you know, even if you don't think the council is the answer, someone has to take responsibility. And in this instance, he took responsibility. In Ashford, they took responsibility. In Crick Howell, the community took responsibility. So that, to me, is the answer. Someone has to step up to the plate and uh, and take action. But again, that lady's talking about retail again. Um, so someone has to have a vision, an overall vision for a high street. And, you know, I think maybe uh, an interim measure is letting someone take a store on a pop-up basis, but it's it's not it's not the answer to the long-term success of a town centre. I think um, in many ways it's got to be lots of stakeholders working together and perhaps in the past we've thought of this as very much a business problem and the, the reason it wasn't tackled was it was, you know, oh, retail moving to the edge of a town that's a business problem and business has to adapt but actually now we're seeing it's a community problem uh, and so it has to be handled by local people getting involved business getting involved councils getting involved everyone has to have come together and as Zoe says uh, work out what's their vision for their town what's going to make people want to come there and make it special. I'm interested on that point to think about some examples of what's working well um, and where that leads, if it's shopkeepers, if it's councils, if it's inspirational figures locally who are making a change with a real vision. Um, I think there's a good example in York, which is Bishy Road or Bishop Bishopthorpe Road, um, which is, again, one of the few high streets around the country that's bucked the downward trend by managing to revive and, and reinvent itself um, against a really difficult climate. Um, and I, I really like this concept um, of the sticky street, which I think is a phrase popularised by um, Canadian planner Brent Tradirian, um, who's helped re- redesign a lot of cities around the world. And he talks about this idea of how you encourage people to linger and lingering being a measurable definition of success for a great for a great street and community. John, what do you um, what do you think of that? The sticky street. Well, it, I guess it comes back to the point about what I was saying in Stoke about offering a broader cultural experience rather than a transactional experience. But I would say one thing that struck me listening to these examples, both from the contributor and from you know and, and Nick regarding Altrincham, is a lot of these places are, are already fairly affluent places. And I'm worried about the degree to which this will work in somewhere like Stoke because not to put a downer on it but um, the amount of money that has left Stoke's economy for example in in benefit changes over the last few years is about 80 million pound a year and that's a lot of money not going into the local economy likewise they have you know a real problem with low wages and I mentioned before the 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 problem with antisocial behavior drugs synthetic drugs monkey dust being the latest the last time I walked up this high street in Stoke the local businesses were um, saying that people don't want to come to the town anymore so never mind lingering and sticking around they're not coming because because there's a sense that it's not safe. And I think maybe in these places where that real challenge is, the first problem is to get the physical environment a little bit more welcoming. And so, I, I yeah, I don't know, before before thinking about sticking, I, I think that's, that's one challenge that for me has stuck out from the last few sort of comments. But, I mean, the one thing I was going to say, I mean, this might be the, my last word on the thing, but we often refer to these places like Stoke and Walsall and 
Wrexham, which the first um, lady mentioned, as as the left behind. And and to me, I, I would like to propose that as a, as another term that we we sort of ban and drop because. These places are the cut are at the cutting edge of these changes. They get the warehouses, the logistics. They get the most boarded up shops, and and you know they going back to what I said at the beginning. They voted for Brexit, and this is our challenge now in a, in a kind of post Brexit world to figure out what what we do with these places, um, what we do with their high streets, and how how you know how we can turn this energy, this idea into in, into something that works long term. I completely agree. And I think just picking up on that, I think that instead of looking back, we need to reframe how we look forward and come up with not just a rehabilitation, but a new framing of what the high street is and can become in terms of community. And I think, Nick, you have touched on this during our conversation today, but I wonder just in final thoughts on that. Yeah, I was... (laughs) It was interesting. I was shouting at the radio last night when I was listening to Mike Ashley on Radio 4 at, at the, um, the Common Select Committee that you, We've all done you that. guys were at. Um, and then Stuart Rose talking about the high street with a modicum more intelligence. But they're missing the point about the true opportunity that exists around the reinvention of our towns. And I accept the point about middle-class towns standing greater chance to revitalise themselves than towns where the disposable income doesn't exist but you have to start somewhere and you have to start where money will uh, reward enterprise because if you if you don't start there then you really won't stand a chance of demonstrating success there is a real opportunity and uh, we we've talked about certain areas of the um of the of the economies that are reviving themselves and that suggests a real pattern in 2000, slightly before I formed an organisation in Manchester called Independence, this was meant to be a movement that started around the celebration of the importance and value of, uh, of independent uh, business. Um, many people interpreted that as me wanting to kill off the corporates or the, the, the brand identity on the high street. Uh, in, in actual fact, I've mellowed much more, and I think the successful town in the future will be an intelligent relationship between the large-scale corporate occupiers that are now um, in in big footprint units, either on the edge of towns or, or retailing online, and independence in our sector. And I, I do think that the future of towns uh, still is very much founded upon retail, but it is what, it's what we're finding with Tesco and Sainsbury's that have moved away from the model of large-scale, big footprint, out-of-town uh, stores towards much smaller local um, retail presences that make shopping and making buying goods that an everyday part of your life. And I think that that's where the future of towns lies, that they will become much more part and the integrated part of everybody's day-to-day experience. Um, the, the town, the high street and the town of the future will, in my view, have uh, a John Lewis or a Marks and Spencers on a much smaller scale so that actually you can go into your John Lewis store on the high street and pick up a glass and you can't buy six glasses but you can pick them up, feel and and work out that that's the thing that you want because that's the thing you can't get online and then perhaps return the following day to collect the six glasses that you want to order and in so doing you enjoy an experience at an independent coffee shop as part of that a tapestry that, uh, that that starts to unfold, the, the independent craft brewing bar or wh- whatever it is, it will start to mix those qualities. And as Venetia said of Glastonbury, you know, it was, it was interesting about the crystal shops, but it was a, it was a simile really because
because what what she was saying is that this is about identity. This is doing something different and the place becoming different from from somewhere else. And so I think if you bring those all of those elements together, this desire to be different, whilst all, and that comes through the independent business sector, whilst also folding in. Uh, some of the larger scale corporate retailers into a very different retail experience uh, that is aligned with online shopping and can form a part, a happy place alongside towns. We start to look at new ways in which we can talk about our towns. But at the moment, the dialogue, the debate is a world apart from delivering that. Sarah and Zoe, final words from you. The government have put aside some money to go towards the high streets next year. Do you know the figures and what uh, we can expect the potential impact to be? It's actually, I think, in the budget they've got one and a half billion because there's a big business rate subsidy and there's this um, high street fund uh, of the future. I, I thought that was really encouraging because actually the sums involved are quite meaningful. I think councils or community groups can bid for up to 25 million, which potentially... Um, if you've got the ideas for for the first time, there actually might be some money to to make a difference. And uh, I think the although the big corporates were very upset about um, the fact that the business rate changes don't help them, I think that you know there are um, there is relief available for the independents that you've been talking about. So in theory, uh, things are not getting worse for them. Um, but I still you can't get away from the idea that there. Are, to my mind anyway, there are too many shops. We have to get to a place where uh, some, some supply and demand are better matched and we're not there yet and it's going to be painful until we do. Yeah, I would agree with Zoe that we're going to go through a period of painful change but hopefully after that I think communities um, have to come up with what they want in their, their local um, high street street to be about and if it's not about retail they need to have their input into what those are. I mean, the government can help with things like, you know, at the moment there is quite disparate tax issues for online retailers and high street retailers, perhaps coming up with a a sensible um, alternative to that will help the high street to thrive. But um, I agree with Zoe that um, uh, the high street as we know it is, is not going to be here in 20 years' time but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a dismal um, place. Well, I'd like to thank my panel very much. Sarah Butler, Zoe Wood, Nick Johnson and John Domacos. Thank you all. And of course, thank you to the Guardian supporters who shared all of their thoughts on this topic. Keep an eye out for the next podcast call out in a couple of weeks. And if you'd like to email us with your thoughts on what we should tackle, you can do that at we need to talk about at theguardian.com. I'm Lee Glendinning and We Need to Talk About the Death of the High Street was produced by Susanna Tresellian, Max Sanderson and Stuart Silver. The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.